You're listening to the greyhill.com's Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Barry Robertson, and welcome to Season 2. Today we have a man of many talents, poet, performer and storyteller. He even has an award named after him, this Simon Lam Quill. He's also had a lead part in The Happiest Days of Your Life, a play we featured earlier on in the season. So a big warm welcome to Simon Lam. Thank you very much. (laughs) Delighted to be here. Thanks for having me on the podcast. That's really cool. Yeah, no, thanks very much for coming on. Um, I almost don't know where to begin but let's start with the happiest days of your life. How did the production go and, and what part did you play? And tell the us more. Production, so The Happiest Days of Your Life was a production that was held at the Gaiety Theatre in Air in April 2022. And it's a theatre I love. You know, I performed in that theatre many times as a kid, but it's the first time I've been there in about eight years or so, seven or eight years. And it was great to be back. So I think you featured Nick Wakeham on the podcast. That's like right, that. yeah. And Nick both directed the production and he played one of the leading roles himself. And I just found it a very, very interesting experience. Obviously, it's an Amdram company, but Nick comes from such a, a healthy and wealthy background of professional work that I found that a really vibrant experience and just super fun. My character was called Mr. Tassel, Dick Tassel. And it's a farce. It's set in the 1940s and it was written in the 1940s too. And it was, yeah, I, I, it's dated in some ways, but there's some element of that farce, you know, that can never date. And I think for me, that was the element that I enjoyed most of it. The the stuff that is timeless, that comedy that just makes you laugh. And after like the years we've had, is that not just what we want on that night out in the theatre? Just that little bit of breathing room to laugh. Yeah, definitely. I was at um, the Lion King there and I needed it. Like I needed that experience. Mm. And uh, the Airgate is a beautiful building. Um, So it's such a nice place for that production to take place. Can you tell us about how you went the extra mile, sort of speak? So I guess that with a production like this, where the characters are very thin, it's very, very thin, you know, the character in this type of farce. So for me, there were maybe two things. One is trying to find those little moments that go beyond the script. And I remember... After the first night, I remember both my dad and my partner both said that there was a moment when I just did something with my hand while I wasn't speaking. And they said it was a little thing like that that just adds to the character. You know, that's going beyond the script. I think that's theatre. You know, I think that is the difference between just reading a role and playing a role. So I guess to answer your question, it's just that I love finding those little bits that you can play with that you can give life and universes to these people Uh, and then the second thing is maybe the obvious one I I had total haircut for it I was given a photograph of a World War II um, fighter pilot I guess um, and told that's what they wanted me to look like so I went into the hairdressers and showed them the photo and they tried their best and I think it looked pretty good normally I sport a little trim little beard but I went clean shaven for it I think it kind of looked like a game show host (laughs) not gonna lie I think that's the vibe I was giving off but you know the things you do for your art right definitely I remember my first uh, theater production it was West Side Story and I was a shark 
And man, oh man, the amount of <laughs> fake tan I needed was amazing. <laughs> Imagine. And West Side Story, can we just do a shout out? Did you see the remake? I haven't yet. I've got mm. Disney Plus and I've still to watch it. I'm too scared to watch it, if I'm being honest. Okay, well, I'm going to give the shout out, whether you want it or not, that I absolutely loved it. And it's gone instantly into like my top five films of all time. I think that remake is just 100% from me. See, that's what I'm worried about, just in case. I'm like, no, what have you done to it? But yeah, it's on the playlist. I will definitely get around to it's it. Flawless. Enjoy when you watch it. Thanks very much. You commented about being part of the group and the Air Force players goes much further back than that. And I hear that you've actually come up with the next production. Am I correct? Okay, so years ago when I was a teen I was on stage with a company and I always because I think I was always quite tall I always played older than I was and yeah I was involved as a teen in things like Faulty Towers and I did a production maybe about eight years ago called Noises Off which many listeners will be familiar with it's a wonderful farce and I loved that role I feel like it's the only time I've ever felt made of elastic on stage I had the sort of falling downstairs role and I just ate that up I love that sort of stuff (laughs) and when this production ended you know, I got those post-show blues that I think so many of us get. Mm. And I was conscious that I didn't want us to lose that really warm vibe that I felt we'd created as a company. So I suggested to do something in the studio theatre, which is a very small venue within the gaiety. And I thought it'd be really cool to, like, I'm a writer, okay? I'm, I'm a writer who acts rather than a, an actor who writes. Mm. And I really love the idea of making new writing for it. So I pitched a wee show uh, that's called Door Matters. It's an evening of eight monologues, and the, the concept is that they're all set on one street in Ayrshire, and eight different people have written them. So the airport players gave me the, the keys to the production, as it were, and they allowed me to commission eight writers, eight Scottish writers, to write as brand new material. Some people early on in their careers, some people much further in their careers. And wow, we're at a stage now where we've just got the monologues in this past week or so. And we're pulling it together and we're pairing off actors and we've got lots of different directors as well. So eight actors, eight directors, eight writers. I just wanted something really fresh, vibrant and very different from a 1940s stale comedy. Yeah, Mm. that's the vibe I'm going for. Well, I'm really excited about that. Um, I'm getting vibes of borderline i'm getting good ideas from west coast scotland writing which has been missing for ages so i'm definitely up for seeing that can you tell us a little bit more about these monologues and what we can expect from them so as i said the idea is that there are eight monologues set on one street eight houses on one street in Ayrshire, and each monologue is a little peak behind that door and there are eight houses on this street and the idea behind that is just to just to allow writers to tell a story that was close to them. And those monologues are in there, so, so I know the story. And when we were prepping for this podcast, it was all still so new to me. But I've had a, a few weeks now, and I feel I know them quite intimately. These characters are, well, they're real. And that's what I really wanted out of it. So we've got uh, an older character, a guy who's been on the, the Burns circuit for so many years, so many years. And as he's growing older, he's realizing that maybe, you know, maybe he's on his way out of the circuit and it's how he is learning to cope with that. Or there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a female character. She's in her forties, fifties, and she's looking through a suitcase and she's going on holiday for the first time in a very, very long time. And the things in the suitcase remind her of holidays she's been on in the past. 
Mm. And I think these are relatable things, you know, people that go on holidays and have memories of childhood looking back or, or, or looking forward to think, how will we cope with this? Regardless of what the actual narrative is, I'd like to think that there are hooks that the audience will enjoy. And why monologues? I really wanted to challenge the company. I think monologues are hard to do. I think they're really hard to do. I thought that would be fun. And from an audience's point of view, I thought, well, if you don't like that story, wait five, 10 minutes, you've got another one right around the corner. And what a great evening of entertainment, just something new and almost dangerous in a way for an Amdram company like that to take on something what I think is pretty challenging and different. Yeah, it is challenging as an actor to do a monologue. And it, it, do you know something? I can't actually remember the last time in Ayrshire there was something like that, but I think it's really refreshing. Um, and as you've said, it's about snapshots of characters and their lives. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really, honestly, I'm really excited about this. One of the other things that you're very talented with is writing poetry. And there's one in particular that I love called Friday Night Treat. It's in a recent publication called The Celebration, an anthology for Book Week Scotland. That's an idea that I just love in itself. But can you share a wee bit, even maybe just read a little bit for us and tell us a bit more about your thoughts and feelings conveyed in this poem? Every year, Book Week Scotland runs in Scotland uh, by the Scottish Book Trust. And for the last oh, many years now, they've always produced a very small book and each one has been themed. And in the past we've had um, Rebels, we've had Future. And in 2021, the theme was Celebration. And it's an open call. So anyone in the country can write and some uh, established writers are commissioned to write and it's open to general members of the public. So I thought, well, I'll have a go as I've done in a few previous years. And celebration, well, when I think about celebration, I was like, the obvious thing is to think of those big, big things we celebrate. But for me, some of the things I love are the smallest things we celebrate, some of the very smallest things. And there are a few moments in my life where a fish and chip supper has been super important to me. And I think that's relatable because I thought that was kind of a personal thing, but the more I've spoken to people about that, there's something about it. So I started thinking about that. What, what could I do with a fish and chip supper? And the, the poem starts very much as a comedy piece where it's quite humorous and light about going to, uh, you know, their eyes are on the menu and there are hundreds of options on this menu. But in the end, they settle for traditional fish and chips and they take it down to the harbour and the narrator, the, the speaker, just sits and opens the fish and chips and, you know, they smell it. And then at that point, I, I draw in the idea of trying to find the universal and the very intimate. So at that point, you know, the stars are able to smell the fish and chips as well, and they're excited. And it says, Harbour is, is quiet. There's, there's not a breath from the boats. Silence, Frey Hoik, to John O'Groats. The idea of this total, total serenity with just fish and chips. And I conclude it by saying, I think in life, I think we should be allowed to celebrate what I refer to in the poem as the big little moments, the big little moments. And perhaps that kind of sums up a lot of my poetry. Kenny Boyle last year, um, Scottish actor and playwright, he launched my book for me last year. And one of his leading comments was that in all of my work, it's matching the very, very small and intimate 
with the universal and maybe the fish and chips and the cosmos is a really good example in Friday Night Treat of that. Speaking of Friday Night Treat, we're recording this on a Friday night, I notice. So you may be I know. am I having fish and chips tonight? I'm not. I had fish and chips. <laughs> However, I may be having a cheeky wee pizza for dinner tonight oh everyone loves a cheap a cheeky wee pizza do you know there is something about fish and chips it's really interesting because obviously i live in the west coast of scotland as well and i don't think you can actually go half a mile without not seeing a chip shop there must be so many scottish italians that set up chip shops in the west coast of scotland it's unbelievable all the way from largs to the free towns right through to Delray, Irvine, all the way to South Ayrshire and even East Ayrshire. It was really interesting because I went to London about two years ago and I hadn't had fish and chips in ages and I was like, I'll just find one. And it's so hard to find a chippy in London. So yeah, it's a, definitely a Scottish treat. Now, one of the things that I wanted to kind of bring you back on was the monologues and what about the cast themselves can you share us a few insights about the cast ask me in a few weeks and yes so what can i say just now the the show is cast and it was interesting auditioning because unusually perhaps for an amdram company it's something brand new so everybody that was arriving at the auditions had to trust us because these are all brand new pieces. Several of the pieces were still being written. In fact, we only auditioned by character brief rather than by script, because so many of the scripts weren't finished, as was our idea. You know, when I said it was dangerous earlier on, that's the word I'm really sticking with. Uh, So for me to be on that audition panel, it was very exciting seeing the potential of what we could have. And yeah, I have to say I'm delighted with our cast. We're going to be starting rehearsals in a couple of weeks. So we're recording this mid-July. We're going to start the process in August. And we're staging it at the end of the second week of September, the 8th, 9th and 10th of September in the Gaiatang. And what a cool little six weeks we'll have to let these actors and, remember, eight directors play with brand new material from Scottish writers. I mean, come on. I'm absolutely got golden buzzing with that. What a great opportunity to present. Definitely, definitely, people. especially for Earshark. Who are some of the directors that you've got involved with the project? Oh, right. Now you're putting me on the spot. Okay, so we've got some people that are already involved with the company. Uh, Mr. Niven Rennie, uh, myself, I'm, I'm going to direct one of them. Uh, Nick Wakeham is coming back because, as I said before, big fan of Nick Wakeham. But then there are also people in the company that haven't directed so much before in this way and wanted to give challenges to people like Anne Harcourt. We've got Fiona Shields. I'm doing pretty well with the names here. Oh, this one's put me on the spot, Barry. <laughs> so uh, there's a wide variety. Of Campbell, who's done like plenty locally as well. Cameron Seawood. There we go. I think I'm on seven. Did I miss one? Oh, I did so well. Oh, and of course, <laughs> the lovely Ella Kerr. How could I forget Ella Kerr? And Ella, um, as I think was mentioned on your previous podcast, is the lady that Nick had worked with 50 years ago with the company. Mm -hmm. So Ella is coming back. And fun fact, last time in April, they played the two leads and they were at loggerheads with each other. This time, Ella gets her revenge because Ella is directing Nick. 
Whoa, controversial. <laughs> I, I, I feel there's a bit of sweaty there because I think I did manage to get all the director's names in. Oh, you. Okay. <laughs> Give me an easier question next, please. Well, here is an easier question. So sticking with the Air Gatey theme, you won Gatey's Got Talent back in 2015. Can you tell us about the performance and how did you manage to win this in 2015? It was... What an incredible week that was. It was the 3rd of July, 2015. The, the date is imprinted on my memory for a few reasons, mainly because it was the day I graduated from university, <laughs> which I did in the afternoon. And then I left the, <laughs> I left my sort of university meal and dashed straight to the theatre, totally exhausted and energised at the exact same time to take part. And when I saw that Gaty's Got Talent was happening, I was like, I've got to do something for this. And it was at the the stage of my career where I was just starting to get into performance poetry a bit more and something that super bugs me and I'm hoping that we can be best friends because you'll agree with this I hate theatre audiences like I just loathe them theatre would be great without audiences I mean that's my joke with teaching you know you know Teaching would be great without the children. I mean, theatre would be great without the audiences. <laughs> I don't mean this seriously, of course. I love audiences. But there are so many things that audiences do that are just shocking to me. And every now and then it rears its head, whether on Twitter or in real life, the stuff that they can get up to. And I was like, okay, there is a poem in this. And I had recently been to see Shrek the Musical on tour earlier that year. And the audience was so obnoxious. I mean, it was just shocking. Like, there were people taking phone calls in the audience, and it was just terrible. You've got crinkly sweets going on. It's all happening. You're in the maelstrom of it. And I was like, there, there's art in this. So I decided that I would write a piece called A Miserable Night at the Theatre. But rather than Shrek, I thought, right, well, I'll choose something that, you know, most people are familiar with. That was Les Miserables. And I thought, okay, that allows me to play with the plot. And it's a very, very very funny piece, I hope, to begin with. And it gradually gets more chaotic and more chaotic and more chaotic until when it just, it reaches breaking point. I mean, the narrator is done. He is done. (laughs) He even says like, Javert commits suicide because things have got so bad. And after that point, it then becomes what I hope to be quite a profound piece. And it it basically says, you know, audiences, sort yourself out. You've brought yourself here allow yourself to really get swept away, swept away in this world that's being created in front of your eyes. There really, I mean, I'm preaching to the converted with, with you and probably the listeners as well. I mean, there's nothing like that connection is with a live audience. There's something so incredible about it. And the last line is really, it's saying, you know, the thrill of live theater, it's in our hands. The curtains fall, the audience stands and it really is about that at the end of the day when that curtain falls that audience is so important to that performance that i think they need to bring their a game as well yeah no definitely i was at the cinema the other day there and a lady and her three children not one not two but three were sitting in the back row and she never took her eyes off her flipping phone and obviously that lit up and i'm like that is so annoying I'm like, you paid money to be here, put it away. So yeah, no, I totally get that. I can see now why you won. Uh, And it's a lovely performance. Not only funny, but you really invoke the emotion in all the messages that you get across to an audience. And as I say, like, you're definitely a man of many talents. 
but you also do workshops as well. Can you tell me more about that? I do a lot of workshops in schools, and that's mainly because my career before I I sort of left as a full-time career was teaching. So I was a primary school teacher for a good few years, absolutely loved it. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed so much of that job, so much of that job, vocation even. But I really got to the stage where I realized that if I didn't make a full-on go of using my own talents in a different way, I think I would have regretted it. So I sort of left full-time teaching, but I just couldn't leave the classroom. And I realized that I just loved it and thrived when I was able to do my passion, but in the mm. classroom. So now is pretty much the, the the most way that I make my living, actually, is through workshops in schools. And that's generally around the Ashes, but further afield as well across Scotland. And I've been really lucky to be involved for quite a few months now with anyway, a couple of years at this point with North Ayrshire Council and several really cool initiatives. We've had one called Story Stories, which was a sort of history and literature-based approach uh, in which I uh, allowed them to use poetry, allowed them, that was very poor, encouraged them to use poetry to explore the past by telling their own stories. Mm -hmm. For an example, we were looking at the life of uh, St. Inan, uh, a hermit from centuries ago, and we were comparing how that was similar to our experiences in lockdown and the, the loneliness that many people felt then. And there's another project, and perhaps it's the one I've been most involved with, called Velcro Poetry. Velcro, because words stick. And this is looking at poetry as a platform to combat so much negativity and these sticky words on social media and beyond that I think we all have to contend with. My example of this is, you know, if you're looking on TripAdvisor and you're looking at 100 reviews, 99 of them are gorgeous. If there's one bad review, you know, that's the one you listen to. Yeah, That is true. Uh, and that goes for buying clothes as well. I find that I look at reviews for clothes and I'm like, should I buy them? Should I not? And then you look at that one bad review and you're like, nah, I think I'll miss it. <laughs> so really Velcro exists to say, right, Let's take these feelings and let's create beautiful poetry from it. Mm. And I'm a very much a person when teaching poetry, I'm very much one for teaching poetry rather mm-hmm. than form. So I rarely teach, you know, this is how to write a haiku or this is how to write a sonnet. I think that's absolutely got its place. For me, poetry is about playing with words and I want to mm. facilitate that ability and encourage playing with words. It's just been... It's been incredibly moving. And actually, 2022 is the first time I have ever cried in a classroom. There was a particularly moving moment this year. And yeah, I went and I was like, this is it. These are the moments when you realize these these kids are giving themselves to this opportunity and thriving. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud and honored to have been given such a, an opportunity to go and work with children, the next generation. And uh, in the year of storytelling, well, in Scotland, 2022, for those listeners that don't know, is the year of storytelling. So how lovely and touching that is to experience that. And do you know something that it sounds really lovely, Simon, and all the work that you're doing, which is quite similar to this podcast in the way that it's about connecting with others, giving them insights to creatives. And it's not just about the end product. But with that in mind, I also hear that you've actually been involved in quite a bit of theatre in schools. Can you share us just a little bit about that? Theatre in schools is something that I think 
I feel really passionately about. I did it while I was doing my first university degree, which would you believe was a maths degree? I know, I'm laughing myself. And while I was doing that, I got involved in a local school and did lots of theatre with them and sort of got the bug, wrote a couple of school shows. And then when I was a full-time teacher up north in Caithness, I came across the Caithness Music Festival. And I was very excited because there were so many poetry and drama categories. And every year I'd get my class involved. And I was really, really excited by, by the content they would give me. Uh, my example of this is we're all familiar with so many shootings in America, and particularly school shootings in America. And I remember my class sitting down January, February 2018, and we just spoke about it. And we were really open about their thoughts and their feelings. And it, it was very moving. And it was one of the first times we've ever missed the lunch bell. We were so engrossed in this conversation. And I thought they care. They care about this. And I, I want to do something. It, it just stunned me that I felt that these very young minds were saying far more sensible things than the president of the United States at the time was saying. I was like, I can do something here. So perhaps my proudest moment of all school theatre that I've done was a production called Classroom 2039, which we wrote, or I wrote in 2018, and we staged in 2018. And it's a very short dystopian play set in the future, 21 years in the future from when it was written. And it features kids in a classroom, in a dream sequence, if you like, kids in a classroom in the future. And in the room, there's no teacher. There's a screen and they're being taught on a screen. But the thing that I added in was there is an adult in the room, but they're referred to as the suit. And the suit is just dressed in a suit, very intimidating, almost maintaining law and order in there, a highly dystopian. And I just remember how excited those kids were. You know, sometimes I think we're a bit twee when we do school drama and things. That's because we're playing it safe. I think if you give that ambition and your passion to your classes, I think anything is possible. And certainly for me, that was the most incredible thing. Well, it's the most incredible thing I've ever seen kids perform ever. And one of the things I was pretty proud about, I went to my really techie friend and we managed to get a live TV screen on stage that was being performed into off stage. So the, the teacher on the screen was literally live performing the lesson behind all the kids. And it was so exciting. We did some green screen filming a few weeks before. One of the, the ideas of the show was to, I tried to bring so much of teaching and what was interesting kids. Kids are obsessed with YouTubers, mm. TikTokers uh, just now. So I, I've got this bit where, you know, the head on the screen is interrupted by this YouTuber and like, hey guys, we're the resistance. We're gonna break you out of there. Oh, I mean, I'm just getting excited just thinking about it I, I i'll never i'm sure i'll never watch something again <laughs> it just energized me so much that those kids brought their a game because that ambition that bar was set mm. high they knew that they had to go up and I, I think that's the thing i've learned about schools and children and you will as well i mean this is your mm. sort of area isn't it if you set it high they'll aim for it if we set it low and what's to be achieved i think that's my thing there yeah, no, I, as you say, yep, yeah, that's how I started in, in an area with no theatre. Um, I was always surprised about the imagination of children and, and actually children can teach you quite a lot rather than us teach children, um, which is really interesting. And you don't get that unless you work with children. I mean, it can be at times quite stressful. Just, there's a lot there, but actually there's always lots of moments that make you feel very proud. 
But I think that's what theatre does with children. It creates a safe space. It creates confidence. It creates intergenerational links. It creates so much of what this generation doesn't have access to, but requires for when they go for work, uh, go for interview, their first date, um, connecting with people outside the digital world. And you get that from teaching kids about theatre and connecting through drama. Which actually leads me on to talking a little bit more about one of your poems in particular. There's also another very uplifting poem called Life is a Campfire. And it has a really inspiring line. And for me that is, come gather ignite. And I just love the way that you deliver that line. In fact, the whole poem is really good. And if you haven't heard it, please go and go and listen to it. Go read it tell me your thoughts, leave some comments, but I love the message that you get access so well and invite to be yourself and not to fear failure, which I think is really important. So yeah, maybe I could tell you just a bit about where that one in particular came from, because it had quite a sort of interesting growth, I guess, as a poem. I had been teaching and it was just as I was leaving full-time teaching, I'd been asked to deliver an end of year speech at graduation day, if you like, which was quite an honor. Like I was pretty stunned. Normally it would be like this external person would come in, but I was asked just as one of the teachers to go and give a speech. And while I was thinking about it, I was like, gosh, I mean, how on earth do you try and sum up and, you know, wish these primary sevens, you know, these, these school leavers, how do you wish them all the best for their lives? What did I want to say? And I thought back to the residential trip that we'd been on. And I'm a really, really passionate member of the Scouts. I'm really involved in the Scouts. And one of the things I absolutely adore is a campfire. And I think the absolute core tenet of a campfire is being in a circle. Because no one is the most important person in a circle. And we'd been on a residential and we'd done our campfires. And I was like, okay, there's a metaphor here. Yeah, life, life is a campfire. And I thought, okay, I've got something now. So I started playing on it for this speech and then I expanded it into its own full poem a couple of months afterwards. And I wanted to say so much about the warmth of life, that fire can also be dangerous, that it can burn us, but that that's okay because we can rise back, we can we can breathe in, we can make the circle bigger. Everyone is welcome at the circle. There were so many things that I wanted to do and squeeze as much out of that metaphor as I could and every gig that I've done since then I have I have ended every gig with that poem because perhaps more than any it sums up what I want to say and I, I think you're right you, you've picked out the the three key words which are come gather ignite you know it's saying bring yourself to life you yourself not somebody else bring yourself to life gather life's not an individual pursuit gather be part of it you're together with people we have to get on and ignite be your best self be our our best selves that perhaps more than anything is my ambition through my art and my teaching is to encourage people to come gather ignite we continue this podcast after this short message Rab's fortunes have declined along with the fishing industry in which he has worked his whole life. 
But now he eyes a glimpse of hope. Catherine Jukaska's short play, The Price of a Fish Supper, was first performed at the Oren Moor in Glasgow as part of a play, A Pie and a Pint, in the season of March 2005. Joyce McMillan from The Scotsman gave this production four out of five stars, saying that it was beautifully written, working-class life story of an ex-fisherman driven to almost to self-destruction. Are you after a fry? You'll be lucky. Folk used to say that. Have you got a fry? Dogs abuse. Now you'd get dogs abuse. There are lucky fishermen and there are unlucky fishermen. My grandfather was lucky. My great-grandfather was lucky. King Herring. When Wally's sitting in the stern with the wire, feeling for the herring, shouts to Kruger, Keep her west! I've felt all night, but this is the best! They used to... They used to come down the harbour after a fry. People like you, holiday folk, when the harbour was busy, that was The Price of a Fish Stopper, written by Catherine Jukaska. For more information on more audio dramas from The Grey Hill, visit our website, thegreyhill.com. Now, back to your podcast. Simon, if people want to see you reading more of your poems, where can they go? Okay, here we go. Here's the sort of, here's the pitch. If you want to uh, follow some of my stuff, uh, one of my best places is my Facebook page. So you can find me on Facebook on Simon Lamb Creative. That's also my handle on Instagram, Simon Lamb Creative. On Twitter, you'll find me at approx21words. And that's also how you'll find me on YouTube, approx21words. And on there, you'll find lots and lots of the video poems I've done. Uh, And two final shout outs last year, I published a self-published collection called When the Universe Creaks. That's available on my website, www.simonlamcreative.co.uk. And also in the future, pretty excited because I'll be traditionally published with a publisher down in London next year. And that book is a book of 50, 50 word poems. And I'm really excited because it's being illustrated by an incredible talent, Mr. Chris Riddell, who is a former children's laureate. I'm still sort of pinching myself that that happened, but that's coming really, really soon. And I would encourage you all to look out for it and support poetry, support art, theatre, schools, and me. Oh, mate, that sounds amazing. I'm I'm totally looking forward to that new book and uh, wish you all the best in it. Now, if any of our listeners are still questioning about this new Air Four Players production, can you tell us more information about that and how they get involved, how they get to go and see it, when it's on, how do they get tickets? Simon, tell us the whole info. Okay, so on the Gaiety Theatre, the link for tickets will be live soon, if not already live now. The dates are Thursday the 8th to Saturday the 10th of September. 8pm starts for three nights. You can come along. Uh, Tickets will be available to all. I think the price for us at the moment is to be confirmed. But when they're there, 
please support. I'd love, I'd love to be able to sell out those three nights. They're just three small little, small little audiences. Imagine the message that would send uh, if we were able to sell out an evening of brand new writing. It would be great to see some faces there. I'm really excited by the project. And thanks for allowing me to, to do a bit of shouting about it. No, thank you very much. Listen, Simon, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date. Keep coming back to the show. And thank you so much for taking part. I've really loved chatting to you today. This has been brilliant. Thank you so much, Barry. It was really great. Thanks for listening to another Insights podcast. If you would like to be featured on an upcoming episode, then contact us via thegreyhill.com and clicking on the Contact Us banner at the bottom right-hand corner of the page. And you too could be featured in one of our episodes.